0: Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Adam Gower. He combines over 40 years of experience in real estate investment and finance with digital marketing strategies to build crowdfunding platforms for real estate capital raisers. He has raised over $1.5 billion, or he has completed over $1.5 billion in real estate transactions, and has personally raised over $500 million in capital, and has taught over 4,500 individuals how to build wealth, preserve capital, and earn passive income from investing in real estate. So thank you so much for coming on today, Adam. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Charles. So give us a little bit about your background, both personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing back in the early 80s.
1: Well, prior to getting involved in uh, real estate and uh, real estate investing, I was at high school. (laughs) Actually, that's like, uh, basically, I left high school um, and uh, started working for an electrician, pulling wires. Uh, So I was crawling around in basements and attics. uh, And pretty quickly, uh, that uh, very hands-on experience evolved into working for a ground-up multifamily sponsor. Uh, and uh, my job there was to raise money for them. I was hired by them to, uh, p- you know, to basically stand in front of investors and uh, pitch the deals that they had. So that's uh, my background is almost, but not quite, but almost exclusively commercial real estate investments and finance.
0: Very interesting. Is there a specific reason why you uh, chose it compared to other industries that you might have learned about at that time, you know, real estate over something else or commercial real estate?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, no, my life has been a, uh, a path, a meandering path of discovery, basically. Uh, look, I was 18. I was knocking yeah. on doors and telling people I'll do anything for $5 an hour. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I started talking, you know, my family was, uh, Uh, involved in real estate in a big way in england but when i came to the states you know i was on my own and uh, one of my friends uh, was a real estate developer ground up real estate developer i was actually working for a boutique japanese um m&a shop actually m&a shop and I met with my friend. I used to meet. I used to like to have breakfast with people a lot in San Diego. And so I met with him. He was telling me about the kind of returns and what they did. And I just, oh my goodness, that's that's really those are really that's really interesting. He showed me a pro forma. I can almost remember it in my own, my mind's eye at the moment. Showed me a pro forma, and uh, I introduced it to the shop I was working at, and it very quickly. Uh, Uh, I want to say spiraled into, spiral is usually something that goes down, but they very quickly evolved into uh, raising capital from these Japanese investors. Uh, They really liked the idea of, this was also during a period when there was a lot of Japanese investment.
0: Yeah, they were buying up everything, yeah.
1: At the time, it seemed that way. Uh, And yeah, so that's kind of how it evolved. And I never really left the industry since. One way or another, I've been involved.
0: Very interesting. So, coming uh, full circle here, I mean, explain kind of what your company does now, and you have an interesting business model of how you incorporate online marketing in uh, into real estate investing.
1: Okay, so the basically, so what happened was, and during the, I'll try that bit of context is important for how I got here. So, in uh, uh, the end of the global financial crisis. Uh, actually, in 2007, I sold my entire portfolio of real estate. I got lucky and I exited. And in uh, and that same year, I was brought into a major bank that had done a lot of commercial real estate lending. And uh, got most of the loans were defaulted, so I had to help them clean the balance sheet. And then I ended up going over to Colony, who'd done deals with the FDIC. And eventually, the global financial crisis kind of mellowed out and the economy started to pick up again. And when that happened, all this uh, distress stuff that I've been working on and done actually so well in uh, went away. And I started doing seed and angel investing in startups. So I was suddenly surrounded by all these kids, really kids like 18 to 20 years old, 18, 21 years old, who were starting tech companies and looking for seed investors. And they were talking a different language and the language they were talking, a language that I didn't know. It was the language of digital marketing. And, and I mean, things like Google Analytics or SEO or I mean, really nothing. I knew nothing at all about this industry, but it was fascinating to hear them talk about that. And then in 2012, the Jobs Act passed and suddenly you have this opportunity. I said, I looked, I thought, my goodness, all this marketing that you can do online now has never been permitted before for sponsor for guys like me who've raised you know hundreds of millions in our life we've always done it face to face in person now we can do it online so I started to investigate or I started to experiment and build systems for my own for myself to see how they worked and they started working extremely well people would contact me who I had no prior relationship with and they knew all about me it was crazy right they, they they were already inclined to working with me and so that's now probably i don't know over i was talking to my wife about this the It's probably eight years solid eight years ago maybe more even and so over that time what gower crowd has evolved into being the really one of the only, if not the only, but certainly the foremost uh, platform for assisting sponsors to raise capital online. And what we do essentially is we build best of class crowdfunding platforms that are tailored to the sponsor, specifically to a sponsor. They, mm-hmm. These are not cookie cutter, uh, you know, they're not cookie cutter websites. Uh, you can't expect to be successful raising capital for real estate if you just put out a cookie cutter website. So we build, uh, I think the English 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 term is bespoke websites that have functionality, lead generation hooked up to social media lead generation, tracking capabilities, automated email systems, everything built into one platform, so that you can raise more capital more quickly from more investors without actually having to spend time pitching your investors? That was a long answer to your question. I forgot what your question was, but I hope it answered it.
0: No, it's perfect. It uh, it tells us about your, your foray into getting into mending both of them together, the real estate investing, the digital marketing, which obviously prior to 2012 with the JOBS Act wasn't really a thing. It was really back in doing, let's say, country club deals, right? Like you said, face-to-face. Right. Um, so going forward now, I mean, there's a number of different crowdfunding sites out there now, and obviously you're talking about building websites that are uh, sponsor-specific, and they are unique to that one sponsor. But um, I think when people look and they hear crowdfunding, they're talking about a platform where there's a lot of deals on there, where there's a lot of sponsors on there. Um, And I think, and I have people reach out to me and they're asking about those. Um, They want to get involved in real estate investing, passive, and they look on these, and they don't really know exactly what level uh, of information they're getting. And um, I mean, when you look at these, these other websites that are out there that are putting deals out there, Um, is it, is it the job really just to put out these deals and have them already like a fully, a fully vetted deal, a fully vetted sponsor, or are they really just list supposed to be just listing deals and every investor, you know, caveat emptor goes in there and buyer beware finds out what they're supposed to do and does it because you have a lot of new investors on these.
1: Uh, right. So it's a good question. I'm just tapping out some notes here. Um, okay. So that's actually quite a big question. Let's start at the very top for a passive investor to get to know. So in other words, not a professional real estate investor, somebody like, a you know, somebody who is an accredited investor who has a real day job and they're looking to diversify their investment portfolio uh, into real estate. There, uh, well, the, the picture you've painted is essentially twofold. One, there are crowdfunding platforms that act as marketplaces and then the second is to invest directly, or to find and invest directly with individual sponsors. So let's start with the platforms themselves. Some of them are exceptionally successful. The really big ones are, of course, CrowdStreet, who have—I I mean, the latest number—they've raised about four billion in equity since they started, so they're really huge. Uh, but CrowdStreet, Realty Mogul, Equity Multiple, Real Crowd—they're the—they're the kind of the. Uh, the early adopters uh, of, in the industry. And they're the ones that have really survived and thrived over the you know last 10 years or however long they've been. Actually it's not 10 years, about eight years uh, that they've been active. And what they do is they provide marketplaces. You will find that in the small print, they will never tell you that they recommend an investment and you've got to do your own homework. And that's really a bottom line, you really do have to do your own homework if you're a passive investor. You gotta get comfortable with a with a shop, with a sponsor, and uh do you know you gotta and, and ask your own advisors. So you've really got to do that. What the what the platforms do though is that they do they 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 prom- I've got to be careful what I say actually, but they promote that they screen the people that list on their website. So for example, CrowdStreet will only accept 5% of all sponsors, right? Now, whether or not as an investor, you think that their screening process is effective and, uh, you know, meets your standards, that's a whole different discussion. But they only take 5% of sponsors that come to them. However, Only 5% of sponsors go to them. So what you're looking at on the CrowdStreet platform is 5% of 5%, which is a tiny number, of all the opportunities that are out there. Now, the other issue that you have with the platforms is that they come with a cost of listing. Somebody pays for that. It's typically not the investor, although in some cases it can be. You've got to look into the small print. But there is a cost to listing on the platforms, and it can, on these marketplace websites, and it can be relatively high. So what you'll find is that a lot of sponsors will pass on listing on the marketplaces because they don't want to pay the fees, number one, or they will list on the platform if they can, and then they will promote their own deals off platform separately. Or what we see, and a lot of our clients do this, is that they will under they will discover crowdfunding because they went to one of the platforms, listed, had success, and that uh, success, and then decided why do we need to pay these fees? Yeah. Let's do it ourselves. Okay. So those uh, so for an investor, you find these are marketplaces, or you can go directly to sponsors. But what you have to look for in both cases mm. is. You got to establish essentially. You got to establish a relationship. You don't have to actually talk to anybody, but you have to establish a relationship with the sponsor directly. Meaning, you want to check out their website. You want to look at what kind of educational materials they have, what kind of videos they have. Are they open? Are they communicating extensively? Do they send newsletters? Right. What to what extent do they do they communicate what they're doing? to their investors. So investors can really understand or or, or form their own view of who they are. And that applies equally to sponsors that don't list on platforms as it does to those
0: who do. That's a great answer. Um, You've been around real estate and commercial real estate for many decades, and you've looked at a lot of deals. And Let's just say high level. I mean, what are the metrics um, that you're looking at that you should, you would suggest people to pay the most attention to when you're reviewing a deal initially, let's say?
1: Uh, so there are a few things. When you, what I like to do is uh, when you look at the first thing you got to do is look at the offering documents. All right. So at least that's it's a kind of a starting point for credibility. You've got all the deal memos. And those are designed specifically to entice you to invest. But the small print is in the deal, is in the offering documents, the PPM, whatever subscription documents, whatever you know, the eighty to hundred page documents that probably nobody ever reads uh, thoroughly. That's the first place that I go. And the things that I look for, uh, and you can actually do this uh, really fast. You don't have to, it doesn't you don't have to read hundred pages run searches on those documents for some keywords. One of the keywords is fees. So I wanna see what kind of fees are being paid. That's number, that's the first thing, not necessarily an order priority. Uh, The second thing is I wanna see what the co-invest is. How much is the sponsor putting into the deal? And how much do the fees that they charge offset that investment? Because what you're looking for is an alignment of interest. You wanna be sure that a sponsor has skin in the game, and that it's real skin, right? It's not carried interest that's been carried over from another deal, or that you know they're putting in a million dollars of their own money, but their acquisition fees are two million, right It's basically there's there's nothing there. Um, the other things to look at that are very important uh, are experience and track record. and when I say that particularly I'm talking about multi-cycle track record how long have they been doing this and what kind of cycles they've been have they been, have they gone through so for example forgive me for saying this I, re- I I don't know too much about you and what you've been doing so just sorry for but forgive me anyway but you asked me a question I'll tell you anybody that tells you that uh, today and I'm going to date stamp your podcast uh, 23rd whatever we are beginning of April 2023 who tells you that they've been in real estate for 10 years, hasn't got experience, yeah. <laughs> Basically yeah. that's like going to Vegas and just being told, Oh, you're going to win on red every time. Mm-hmm. Just keep on going. And then one day it doesn't work that way and you can lose everything. So going having experience of having gone through cycles, understanding the impact of cycles, being conservative with debt, uh, because debt is really the killer. It's, uh, de- real right. estate doesn't kill deals; debt does. Right? It's not the real estate; it's the it's the capital stack uh, and the amounts of leverage. So I always look at uh, look. I am also uh, Charles. I'm a super conservative investor and to the point of um, you know almost point of paralysis. To be honest with you. Uh, and that's because I have a very strong aversion to losing money, and so I look personally I look for downside protection first and foremost am i gonna is my money gonna be safe with this uh sponsor and then I look at returns uh and uh you know and I also look long term I like long term I don't want to be flipping and chop you know i like to, i like seeing sponsors that have a long-term perspective because ultimately that's how you ride out downturns is by underwriting to assumptions that you're going to be Do you want to hold an asset for a long time if you don't do that during a downturn like we are headed into in now and headed into more deeply in the latter parts of this year you'll lose deals people all equity will be wiped out so i'd rather take low returns with higher security in terms of confidence I'm gonna get my money back. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more that I could yeah. say about sponsors, but that covers kind of the main things.
0: Yeah. So it's really, I guess you would prepare for that by having uh, lower leverage on deals that you're getting involved with. I mean, that's really just makes it safe, safer, correct? Well, an effective
1: uh, look, a a sponsor who is really who is truly conservative at underwriting two downturns or uh, underwriting to hold for the long-term irrespective of what the market does. is going to be looking at alternatives if the market does falter. So they will underwrite, they will look at, well, what happens? So, for example, you might look at how deep did the market that we're in fall during the global financial crisis. Assume that's what will happen in terms of values and rents and occupancies during the next cycle, and then underwrite debt and all of your numbers to survive a similar downturn. Now, what that does is it substantially reduces the potential for upside, but it does it also secures the downside, and that's what I look for. I would rather I just said I would rather have lower returns and be comfort sleep at night that my <laughs> nest egg is going to be safe, you know, for the for for decades than try and make a quick buck.
0: Yeah. yeah, And that mentality is kind of opposite of what a lot of people in the market are now, or what they were for the last couple of years. Few yes, years. exactly. Um, so you mentioned one thing about communication prior to someone investing into a deal. Um, what have you found with some of your successful clients, uh, the proper amount of communication after a deal has closed? Because I always find this with our deals is that Um, You know, you have some investors will never respond to you, doesn't matter what I send them, they'll never respond. Um, And then you have other ones that are want more information. And they're a little bit more, let's say, hands on as a past investor.
1: So uh, we did a a survey, actually a multi sponsor investor sentiment survey at the end of last year. So just three months ago, it's still valid. And we asked this question, how often do you want to hear from sponsors? And the number one answer was at least once a month. We want to hear from you at least once a month. And so what you want to be doing, this is what we we do for our clients. And this is what we teach uh, the people that uh, that come into our network that hire us to show us how to build and we do, et cetera, uh, how to build their systems and to raise more money rather than doing it for them, uh, is we recommend that you have a newsletter that goes out at least once a month and that, that newsletter covers down the fairway information, just relevant information. You don't want to be, you don't want to be, there's a lot of people that send out what I think of as bubble gum, you know, just uh, content that is mass produced. I mean, now we've got AI writing, right? Chat GPT and AI writing articles. But frankly, a lot of the content that goes out there is, is written by humans. It may as well have been written by AI, right? It's just, it's flat. It's not really, it's not really authentic to the sponsor of what you want to be doing is to be addressing your investors' primary concerns. Their primary concern at the moment is protecting their capital, not just me. That is what's happening with investors. The moment they want to have protect, they want to feel comfortable that you are protecting their investment. Therefore, for example, a newsletter that you put out should explain what your defensive strategies are to protect investor capital and the best way to do that is to write an article about how you've been protecting how you've been orienting your investment strategy to capital preservation and what you're doing now as interest rates are going up how are you are defending against that kind of situation and be open And discuss all the different angles that you're approaching and the challenges that you're having and how you're overcoming them. Put it in an article, put it on your website and punch that out in an email that says, here, we've heard your concerns or whatever, right? We've heard your concerns about, and this is how we're dealing with, this is how we protect your capital click here. Then redirect people back to your website. That's really what you should be doing. And you should be doing it monthly.
0: That's great sentiment because on past investments that I have, when I'm looking at emails that are coming from sponsors, I'm, you know, picking out uh, collection percentages, not really on how much rent we, you know, we increased uh, per month. You know what I mean? You're looking at really maintaining what's already there and, you know, keeping that property uh, as full as possible with paying tenants. That's kind of how I found it. And I found a lot of our investors think the same way.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really important. You've really got to, you just got to communicate. Communicate stuff that is relevant to your investors and that speaks directly to how it impacts them.
0: So, so Adam, uh, over the last uh, four decades uh, from knocking on people's doors for $5 to where you are now, how has your relationship towards money changed over the years?
1: Well, I have more of it now <laughs> uh, than I had 40 years ago. I didn't have anything 40 years ago, really nothing. Um, uh, but I'm still conservative. If I was to look back, I would say I wish I'd taken some bigger risks uh, just because, you know, I've been so conservative. There are deals that I look back at and just think, gosh, I I wish I'd not been quite as conservative or or cautious of, uh, you know, worried about losing money, which I did, or getting into financial difficulties. So I think taking bigger risks would have been uh, something that but that doesn't mean not taking calculated or taking, uh, yeah, not taking calculated risks. They they were all calculated. And looking back, I would tell my younger self, yeah, buy that, do that. It's a good idea. You never know what's going to happen, but you're going to come out. Okay. Uh, So yeah, I think an awareness of that. You got to take risks to make it big. I think.
0: Yeah. That's great. That's a a great response. Um, As we're uh, off. Wrapping up here, what do you think are the main factors that have uh, contributed to your success over the years?
1: My wife says that my superpower is my ability to hear no and yet persevere. So just as many, you know, like you talked about your investors, someone will talk, some never communicate. You know, you try your hardest and your best and uh, 19, look, 99% of people, more actually, Will say no the first time you approach them. That's a lot of people. One in a hundred. You got to hear no ninety nine times before one says yes. But that one will change your life. And so I just I, I just let it wash over me most most of the time. I just let it. You know sometimes you know we manage our we manage our clients' uh, newsletters and their email process, and we do our own. Occasionally, you know, either we or or they will get an FU email. You know, it, it, it happens. And I always I actually think I actually always feel encouraged when we get one of those. And I'll tell you why, because when you think of mass solicitation, when you're soliciting to, for investors online, talking to millions of people, it's statistics. And if you remember the normal curve, we I think it's called the bell curve here somebody that sends you an fu email don't take me off your list I don't like anything you say. there are two or three standard deviations to the left they're in this group of people that really don't like it but statistically speaking that is that it doesn't prove anything but it indicates that on the other side of the curve <laughs> there's somebody else who is dying to invest with you they're reading everything. They're watching all your videos. They love what you do. And they're just ready and waiting for you to say, invest now. So i that's, again, I keep forgetting your questions, but. Uh,
0: no, it's great. Got your question. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It was a great response. Uh, so, Adam, uh, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business?
1: Thank you for asking. So, the, really, the best thing to do is to go to gowercrowd.com slash so G O W E R crowd.com gowercrowd.com and sign up for our newsletter it's a it's a weekly newsletter it's free uh it covers everything that's happening all the deals that are listed uh in uh, real estate syndication um and uh, crowdfunding industry we cover industry news and updates and everything i mean it's it's free you can always unsubscribe and you can, if you want to talk to me just well, the first time you get one of those, just hit reply, and I'll you'll find me at the other end of the email.
0: Yeah, you can always unsubscribe. There's no need to reply with "fu" in there, to Adam.
1: So. <laughs> no, so I'll thank unsubscribe you, you for you if you do that. I'll just hit the unsubscribe button.
0: Uh, thank you so much, Adam, for coming on today, and looking forward to connecting with you here in the near future.
1: Charles, it's so nice of you to ask me. Thanks so much for having me on the show today.
0: Bye bye. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars LLC exclusively.